So, um, quick question to open today. Uh, where do we go to find joy? Where do we go to find joy? At least, what does the world say, or what does society say, or what does the culture say is the place or are the places that we can find joy? Um, so I think there are, there's a few things. Uh, one is kind of personal success, right? Uh, you know, work or fame or sometimes even like family. Um, we see those as kind of ways. There's these like personal milestones or these personal goals. Another kind of obvious thing is like physical pleasure, right? Like food or drink or rest or traveling or you know, sex, like these kinds of things. It's like, okay, there are these physical, carnal things, and these are kind of more obvious things. I think nowadays, particularly in light of us having, uh, you know, being in the situation that we're in, there's, you know, coronavirus going on. There's a lot of other issues going on in the world. Uh, one thing that we go to is like emotional distractions, right? Like a way to numb our pain, or a way to just not think about what's going on in the world. I know people are kind of, you know, binge-watching more things and getting into uh, different forms of entertainment or games or exercise or art or music or other hobbies, picking up hobbies. But there's one that I've become very aware of as I've spent some time on, I mean, all of us are spending I presume time on social media, more time on social media because we can't socialize in person. And um, it is this moral or ideological superiority that I think a lot of people are kind of going to, gravitating toward, to find some kind of joy in the midst of all of this sorrow and pain and frustration. And I admit that I'm personally guilty of this. I feel the pressure and temptation to engage in this kind of thinking more and more. I find myself thinking this to myself, and it's basically this thought. Um, I don't understand people who fill in the blank, right? It's kind of, I don't understand people, I don't understand, you know, these conspiracy theorists, I don't understand anti-vaxxers. I don't understand people who protest. I don't understand people who don't protest. I don't understand people who are for law enforcement, against law enforcement, government officials, people who are on the left, people who are on the right, different communities, black people, white people, Asian people, LGBT, you know, people who want to open schools, people who want to close schools, people who want churches to close, people who want churches to open, people who don't wear a mask. Like, I don't understand these people. And instead of trying to understand one another, what it seems like people are doing, what we are gravitating toward is shutting down kind of conversations before they begin. We don't discuss or debate or delay. We simply claim intellectual or philosophical superiority. And what I see a lot of actually is that people are trying to meme each other to death. Um, this is kind of the go-to move now. You try to make somebody feel small for having a position, for having an opinion. 
And it's easy to make somebody look small or to make them look bad or to make them look foolish when you don't fully represent the best version of their argument. And also you just have a picture, you know, and it's kind of funny. And then you have like one line and you're basically reducing what uh, a whole argument or a whole, a whole kind of system of thought down to just one thing. And usually uh, it's not a, an attempt to thoughtfully engage people. It's an attempt to uh, make fun of people and to claim the intellectual and usually the moral high ground also. And it's easy to basically paint an entire group of people also by their worst example. You just find the one dude you know, on the news who's doing something kind of foolish and then you say, oh, all those people are like that. They're all like that one guy. Now, will any of these things that people are chasing, particularly right now, success or this physical pleasure or emotional distractions or this moral or ideological superiority, will that lead to a joy-filled life? That's the question that we're going to look at today. Not will those things lead to a joyful life, but how can I live a joy-filled life, particularly in light of what's happening in the world right now, what seem to be very challenging, very difficult circumstances. Uh, that's what we're going to look at today. And so if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to uh, Philippians. So we're in a series in Philippians uh, called To Live as Christ. We've been looking at uh, what Paul writes to the Philippian church, what it means, what it looks like, uh, to say to live is Christ and how we can step into that. So we're, we just went over uh, the first five verses last week. We're actually going to uh, review a couple of those verses today. So we're going to read Philippians 1. This is verses 3 through 8. And this is God's word. And it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So three things we're going to talk about today. Three things that we can see from this passage um, that can help us to live a joy-filled life. Three things we learned from Paul. So here's the first thing. Lean into... The joy of gospel remembrance. Okay, lean into the joy of gospel remembrance. Now, just to remind you Paul's context as he's writing this letter. He's actually in prison in Rome when he's writing this letter. So he's in prison, he's, or he's under house arrest. And it's interesting that in that context, one of the first things that he says in this letter is, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. 
right? And and Paul, he'll, which will he'll reveal later in the letter, he's not doing this in any kind of manipulative way. He'll say at the end of the letter, he's already received, like he's already received gifts from the Philippian church, right? He's already received giving. He's already received gifts even while he was in prison. And so because Epaphroditus was sent, you know, which Paul also brings up later, and he's he's not saying this, so he's not saying this to get something out of them. He's saying, just the f- I'm in prison right now, you know, for the gospel because of the gospel, and I'm stuck here. And in this context, in this situation, that's really kind of, you know, he's on lockdown. It's got, maybe it's something that many of us can kind of relate to, even though I'm, you know, his was much worse. But it's like that kind of he is he's very limited right now he's restricted and he's saying i want to have joy and one of the ways that i have joy is i think about you i have this remembrance of the gospel and and the fruit that the gospel has borne in the philippian church he says you're the people i think about when i think about you i rejoice i make my prayer with joy Now, quickly, we're going to just touch on this quickly and we'll move on. But there's a powerful joy that exists in gospel remembrance. You know, what are the things that we can do when times are tough? You know, maybe when the present, you're in difficult circumstances, that's the circumstance that Paul finds himself in as he's writing this. And he says, I remember, I thank God. Now, if you see, he's thanking God first. So it's pointing back to God. And he's saying, I'm remembering what God did. He's thinking back to the events of Acts 16. He's saying, I'm remembering what God did when this church was planted. I'm remembering the faithfulness that I've seen from you. I'm remembering the fruit that the gospel has borne. And we can do that. We can lean into the gospel itself, the message of the gospel as a remembrance of God's love. We can remember that Christ came, that he lived for us, a righteousness we couldn't live, that he died for us, a death that we are supposed to die, that we deserve to die, a punishment that we deserve to pay, that he resurrected from the dead. We can lean into, and the power that we have in light of that resurrection, we can lean into the joy of just remembering that actual gospel. But we can also lean into the joy of just remembering God's faithfulness. You know, one of the things we do at home, because they're, you know, they're, it's, it's limited, and particularly for the kids, we can't take them out to a lot of places. We kind of go to the park and things like that. But you can only go to the park so many times. So, you know, we'll like look at sometimes we'll just like look at old pictures, you know, and we'll see when, you know, the boys were younger or when we're out doing something. And we remember, you know, obviously it's just kind of remembering our lives, but you remember God's faithfulness as you do that. God's faithfulness in your own life, even how things have changed, how the gospel has borne fruit. So that's just the first Quick point there. Lean into the joy of gospel remembrance. Okay, now, point two. Lean into the joy of gospel partnership. Now, we touched on this last week. Let's look, at the, let's look back at the passage again. It says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, 
so again, we, re- we kind of went through this a little bit last week. I'm going to review it just a little bit for you. That word partnership there is the word, the Greek word koinonia. It is the same word that is typically translated as fellowship. And again, there are more superficial types of fellowships. So really, this, the, the semantic range of this word is pretty big. It would refer to a lot of, kind, uh, a lot of uh, types of relationships that people would get into from like marriage to like going into business together to like you know, being friends on some level. And so um, you know, obviously, there, any kind of common ground can form this fellowship. There are more superficial type things, right? Like you might have the same... I don't know, the same phone as somebody, right? Or like the same shoes or the same car, right? That's Even that would maybe be considered like a type of fellowship. You're like, oh, we have this common ground. We can connect on this level. And then there's like a deeper, maybe a slightly deeper, like you're a fan of something. You know, you're like a Laker fan, right? And then an even deeper fellowship would be like if you're a Clipper fan because they've been bad for so long and you've suffered. You know, Albert is like, fervently agreeing with me here but you know it's like yeah and then there's only a few of you right and you've been persecuted and held down and so you know there's this kind of deeper that's an even deeper fellowship and the, the idea is that true gospel fellowship true gospel partnership is the deepest kind of fellowship right because it doesn't refer to just because what do you do when it's not the season or you know you you get a new car or you move you know like these types of things or you're in business and you you go out of business like these types of things are subject to change but the gospel is our most foundational you know truth if you're a believer if you're in christ and we defined it this way last week but true gospel fellowship is when broken sinners who have been declared saints in christ aspire together to live as slaves for christ for the sake of the gospel when you grow in that way when that's what you're about and and paul is saying i Rejoice because I have this partnership with you. Right? And he'll say later in Philippians 4 at the end, uh, he, re- he references that the, the church at Philippi was the only church that entered into a partnership with him in giving and receiving when he left Macedonia. So this was like the first church, the only church there that said, hey, we're going we're gonna to support you. You know, as I I referenced Epaphroditus, and we'll get into that later too, but Epaphroditus had to send a gift to Paul while he was in prison because the Philippian church wanted to support him there. And obviously it's like you don't have like Venmo, you know, in the first century. So what do you do? How do you send a gift, money to somebody? Somebody has to actually go deliver it. And so Epaphroditus was the one who did that. He delivered and he almost died because he went on this journey to deliver this gift to Paul. And so when Paul sees that and he understands that they're in this fight for the gospel together, you know, he's saying, you're sharing with me in my imprisonment. You're sharing with me this this passion and this care for the gospel. That fellowship is what Paul prioritizes and celebrates. I mean, Paul never, and there's nowhere in the Bible, Paul doesn't talk about his like best friends from childhood. You know, his old, his old school friends, his, his, his family even. He's, he's saying, this is what I prioritize. These relationships in the gospel. Now, there was something I was thinking about um, this week. Because there's actually a question I hear a lot um, amongst my 
Christian friends. I'll just say amongst my Christian friends. Um, and it's this, que- it's this question. It's how do you feel about your church? Like how do you feel about church or how do you feel about your church? And I've been thinking about this question a lot. It's one that I used to ask too. And I thought about it like, is that a good question? Right? Like, is that, a, is that a helpful question for the church? Does that move the church toward gospel partnership? And after thinking about it and praying about it, I've come to the conclusion that at least for believers, like I would say certainly for believers, you know, for non-believers, I think perhaps the categories are a little different. But for believers, the answer is no. And here's why. That question is a completely consumer question, right? Like, the church does not exist for us to evaluate. The church exists, and certainly not on the basis of how I feel about it. The church does exist for us to be a part of, to participate in. And this question, how do you feel about church, puts you outside of the church as a consumer, right? It turns essentially the church into a product. Like, well, how do you feel about it? It's kind of the way it, make, it turns you into a judge outside instead of somebody inside who will be judged along with the church by the only judge whose judgment matters, it kind of turns it into like, like that's, that's basically turning it into like a TV show, right? Like, how'd you feel about that episode? You know, or a social club. How'd you feel about that meeting? Now, that question also turns our evaluation into something completely partial, right? It's based on your feeling. You know, because it's not like asking, I don't think it's wrong to evaluate the church, right? But it's not like asking a concrete question like, is this church committed to God's word? Or are we really living for the gospel? Am I serving uh, the church as Christ calls me to? Are we committed to helping those most in need in our community? Are we sending people to the nations? It's not that kind of question, right? Those are concrete questions that we see in scripture we can ask and answer on the basis of evidence, But the question, how do you feel about church, at its core, strips the church of all its power by turning something transformative, the gospel, into a powerless prop in our lives. Now, I bring this up because thinking about it a little bit deeper, most of the questions we frame our lives around are very self-centered. How do I feel about even my life today? Are people treating me well? Are my friends treating me well? Is my family treating me well? Is my job treating me well? How do I like my job? Am I satisfied there? Is there upward mobility? You know, am I getting paid enough? How can my life be more comfortable? How can it be easier? How can it be more fun? Now, if these are the questions you have built your life on, I would be shocked if you actually felt like you were living a joy-filled life. I would just personally be shocked. If you're a believer, I would say 
some better questions to ask are, what does God say about me? What does God think about me? What is God doing in me? How can I love the people around me today? How can I treat others well? How can I care for them? How can I pray for them? How can I serve them? How can I best advance the gospel in my work? How can I serve people in my work? How can I love people in my work? If we build our lives around these questions, the previous set of questions will feel far less relevant and we won't be driven by a sense of dissatisfaction, by a sense that something's lacking, but we'll be driven by a sense that we are incredibly blessed. So I would say, put the gospel at the center of your fellowship, of your partnerships, your relationships. What are some helpful questions, gospel questions, we can ask one another? How have you been blessed and encouraged by God and others? What fruit is the gospel bearing in your life? What has God been teaching you through his word? What are you fervently praying about? What are, your, what, are, what are you passionate about? What are your prayer needs? What are the opportunities in your life right now to love others and advance the gospel? And how are you stepping into them? And if... Church, and I'm only talking to believers here, if the only answers you can think of to those questions are, I don't know, none and nothing, then you're not going to know the joy of gospel partnership. It's crazy. Like There are people that I keep in touch with to this day who are like in Latin America and like Russia and India in the UK and like different parts of the US and like if I talk with them if we if even it's a message or an email or something like there is this there's this strong affinity there's this joy in fact even when I when I see them doing something like moving forward in the gospel or, some, you know, when they see us doing that, and I've received, like, these kinds of messages, and I've sent these kinds of messages, there's, like, this powerful joy. Even though, I mean, I didn't do anything for that, you know? And I've, you know, I've prayed for them, and I'm sure they've, they've prayed for me. But even when we connect on the, there's this, there's something powerful there. And it's different. And I've only known, the, like, I've only seen many of these people face-to-face for, like, a month or less. I've only seen their face for like a month. Well, many of these people, some of them I've known them longer. But there's such a joy and an affinity there because we've partnered in the gospel. That is what God wants us to have, the kind of joy that he wants us to have in community. That's that's the joy. That's where the joy is. I mean, nowhere in those letters does Paul say, like, hey, remember that time we all hung out? Like, hey, Philippians, remember that time we were all just hanging out at Lydia's house and we were playing games? It was like the best time. He doesn't say that. He says, I have this deep and powerful, resilient joy that's going to help me even when I'm in prison, even when I'm in chains. It's going to help me. It's going to encourage me. It's going to give me strength to endure. Why? Because we're partners in the gospel. Church, lean into the joy of gospel partnership. 
And I and I'll just say, like many of you, you know, I've had these conversations with, and we've spent time on mission trips together, and we've spent time, you know, partnering in the gospel, planting this church. And those conversations, honestly, those are are like very extremely helpful. Like they are really give me a great deal of joy, particularly in in frustrating or difficult times. You know, thank you guys for that. Now, the third thing that I want us to see here is that Paul says, lean into the joy of gospel growth. Lean into the joy of gospel growth, and more specifically, lean into the joy of Christ's work in you. Okay, now let's, uh, let's go back to verse 6. It says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now let's, let's leave it there for a second. Now he's saying a couple things. He's saying, he's speaking of assurance, right? He's saying, I'm sure that this good work is going to come to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, what does the day of Jesus Christ mean? So let's quickly look at a couple texts, what that means. Um, If you look in Ezekiel 33, it says, For the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Now, this is all over the Old Testament. This is just one passage. But the day of the Lord... references this day of judgment, right? So it's the day of the end. But sometimes there is also kind of a, like a mini fulfillment. It will be the day of judgment for a particular nation. But it also is a continuing prophecy that there is this going to be this day of the end. And then after Jesus comes, so this is from John 5, it says, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. So God has given this authority to execute judgment to Jesus. So the day of Jesus Christ is now the day of the Lord. Those two things reference the same future date when Jesus will judge, right? Jesus will, Jesus will judge all, all people. Okay, now let's go back to, to Philippians uh, 1 again. Again, verse 6, it says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So a couple things uh, kind of miss understandings of that verse verse six okay one is that he who began a good work and then the other is that it says in you okay so let's talk about those couple things okay so first of all he he is often neglected it's turned into something impersonal and mechanical and automatic but the he matters Right? The he matters because Jesus himself is the one who is doing this work, who, who helps us to be faithful. It's God's faithfulness and his ongoing work in us that is the decisive factor of assurance. How do you know? Right? How do you have this assurance? So rather than look to some kind of impersonal qualification, we should look to Jesus himself. Now, secondly, it says, in us, right? It says, he who began a good work in you. 
Now, the reason that matters is because a lot of times we change this in you to for you. He who did a good work for you will bring it to completion. But we shouldn't think of this as like some kind of, okay, it happened a long time ago. And because it happened, now it's fine. You did it. You said the words. You did the magic thing, whatever. And now you're, you're just for sure saved. Right? There is this ongoing evidence in them. It's happening in them. And this is what Paul uses for his assurance. He's saying, I see the work in you. I see that it's happening in you. I see that Jesus is actually working in you. So the, Paul's point is c- continue to believe on Christ and you will grow in Christ and become like Christ. And in that, Paul finds joy. He's saying, when the gospel is actually producing this growth in you, when the gospel is actually producing growth, that's something that we can have joy in. And I would say, I think we can take this, if, if Paul were writing to us, we could take it as find joy by leaning into the work that Jesus is doing in you. Okay, now how do you do that? How do, you, how do you lean into the work that Jesus is doing in you? I'm going to put it really simply, okay? Exercise your faith in Christ. If you're a believer, okay? Well, let me say this first, okay? Something I want to point out about Paul. He didn't encourage sitting back and waiting for things to happen. That wasn't what Paul was about, Right? Paul didn't complain about the state of his society. He didn't use the Roman government as an excuse. He didn't say, wow, the relations between, you know, Jews and Gentiles are so complicated. I don't want to get into that. Like, no, he doesn't do any of that stuff. In fact, when Paul starts his ministry, there aren't even churches. Right? As soon as he discovers the gospel, as soon as Paul discovers the gospel, as soon as he realizes that Jesus is Lord and he's lived his life for one purpose— to, he lived his life for one purpose, to advance the gospel. That's it. That's the purpose of his life. There are no churches. Paul says, I'm going to plant churches. So he doesn't look at the world, at his circumstances, and then say, wow, it's so hard, or how do I grow in Jesus, or how do I, none of that stuff, right? He just does it. He has Christ. He exercises his faith. Here is the most foundational and important way that you can lean into the joy of Jesus Christ in you. I say this all the time, right? But read the Bible regularly. And I'm going to say this, pray the Bible regularly. If you're a believer, I'm just going to keep it real, okay? If you're a believer... There is no excuse to not read the Bible regularly. Now, I'll provide some caveats to that. Okay? So I already said if you're a believer, but, if, but the first caveat is if you're not a believer, right? So if, if you're just kind of exploring and you're not sure where you are in the faith, I'd still encourage you, in fact, to read the Bible because anyone who has discovered the grace of God has done it through the Bible, whether it's somebody preaching the Bible or someone sharing the Bible you know, like a friend or something. They've discovered it through the Bible. So 
you know, if you're not, if you're not sure where you stand before God, and of course, you know, we completely welcome that. And I'd love to have another, you know, a conversation with you about that. Please personally, you know, email me or message me or something. Um, but yeah, you can. There's a lot of wisdom and and power that you can discover in the Bible. Um, but that's number one. Okay, here's here's a second caveat I'd say. Uh, if you're a believer, but you've recently gone through some kind of serious life transition, okay, if something just happened, you just had a baby, you just got married, you know, or, you know, someone passed away, like if there's some kind of season that you're going through, there are difficult seasons like that, and sometimes it becomes difficult, it becomes hard um, for various reasons. And so that's that's completely understandable. This, the third caveat I'd say is if you're a believer, and we're online, and I don't think anyone at our church is this age, but um, if somebody happens to stumble on this, and you're like 13, and you have a tough time being disciplined to read the Word, um, I understand that. And I would say it's probably one of the most important things that you can figure out to do in your life. But those are my three caveats. You're a non-believer, you've just gone through some serious life transition, or you're in junior high, Okay. If you're an adult human that has committed his or her life to Christ, like you are a forgiven sinner because of the blood of Jesus and you're fully convinced of that and you have the freedom to make your own choices that has at any point in your life had a job that you've had for like more than a month that has ever kept an appointment with anybody, you know, you know how to keep appointments like a meeting or a date. You know, you've ever been on a diet, you've ever had a workout regimen, You've ever had time to read a book or watch a full season of a show or watch a movie or read articles about the coronavirus or schools or parenting or government? If that's you, then there's no excuse for you not to be reading the Bible and praying the Bible regularly. When there are apps that can remind you every day to read the Bible, when there are apps that can read the Bible to you (laughs) that we've talked about, like the Dwell app, when there are tons of schedules online and we provide one for you every month, when there are tons of resources, there's like Desiring God, ESV, there's Study Light, there's TGC. I mean, you guys could check out like Tim Challies. Like there's a bunch of stuff online that you can just go to to find pretty much any information that you want And by the way, I'm also seminary educated, and you literally have me every single week saying, if you have any question about anything, including any question about the Bible, please email me directly. In light of all that, if you still don't read the Bible and pray the Bible regularly, I see only two options. One, you're not really a believer. Like, you might think you're a believer, but if you simply have no desire to follow Jesus, and trust me, reading the Bible and praying regularly is the foundational building block of following Jesus. It is an act of, this is, like, do you ever want, do you ever say as a Christian, like, I want to live out my faith? Do you ever say that? Do you ever say, like, why don't, why don't the Christian, why don't the church, why doesn't the church live out its faith? This is it. This is the most foundational thing that you can do to live out your faith is to wake up every day and say, I need you, Jesus, because I don't trust myself. I don't trust my judgment. 
I don't trust me running my own life, deciding things, being a dad, being a father, you know, being a husband, being a pastor, being a servant, being a friend, being a son. Like, I don't trust me deciding how to do all those things. And so I need you, Jesus. That is exercise. That is the fundamental way that you exercise faith in Christ. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a vision for like adopting all the kids and going to the nations and helping all the refugees and the poor. And we should also do those things. But without this, you'll never get there. That's like saying, I want to be a professional basketball player. And the first thing you do is try out for the Lakers. That's not the way it works. First, you try out for the Clippers. No, I'm just kidding. First, you practice all the fundamentals, right? Like you get in shape and then you dribble. You do dribbling drills and then you do shooting drills. And then you do, you know, you get a trainer and you train for like your whole life. And then you go to the mission field. Right? And then, you know, you adopt a kid. And then you do that. Or then you do that. Like then you finally, yeah, no, no, I'm not even saying that that is the final destination. You know, then you've arrived. No, it's not like that. It is a lifelong journey. But those fundamentals have to stay there forever. So that's option one. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Here's option two, which I think if you find yourself in this situation, I think most more people are in this situation. You have refused to take responsibility for your own discipleship. Essentially, you are in rebellion against God and you refuse to admit it. I'm not saying you're in some kind of unforgivable sin, although I would warn that this could turn into that. But simply put, to refuse to pursue Jesus and yet to blame someone other than you, whether it's your job or your parents or your spouse or your kids or your friends or for that matter, the church, given the ridiculous amount of resources that I've just listed, we have at our disposal is patently ridiculous. If your job is really the reason you, can, you absolutely cannot read the Bible and pray every day, like legitimately, then you absolutely should quit your job. No question. If you cannot, if you absolutely cannot grow in discipleship because of your job, quit your job, point blank. I'll just say that right now. Follow Jesus. If you believe Jesus really is who he says he is, if he is God and he has saved you from eternal damnation, then that shouldn't even be a tough decision. Not even close. And again, like, let me just, I'm not trying to make you feel bad if you don't read the word regularly, but this is my point. Don't miss the point. The point's this. You're doing yourself no favors When instead of taking responsibility for your own persistent rebellion, you blame your job or your spouse or your friends or your kids or, you know, whatever, somebody else. Well, nobody taught, you know, nobody's discipling me. Nobody's mentoring me. Like, what am I supposed to do? Again, I would say, 
you can email me. I'll do it personally. You can participate in life groups. You can find accountability. I mean, you have to say to somebody that you need that help, right? You have to admit to yourself, hey, I just don't have the discipline. I literally need somebody to just text me every morning. People will do it if you ask for it. But if you keep saying, if you haven't read the Bible regularly for like years and you keep saying like, oh, but it's just because I'm just right now, it's this circumstance because I just, I'm just, I happen to be lazy about this thing. That's not going to change unless you take responsibility for that. Jesus rewards us with the joy of knowing him when we just put in this small faith, exercise this faith. Because here's the good news about this that I'm saying, okay? If getting something out of the word depends on you, and if that's the way we approach it, of course it's not going to work. Remember what the text says. He is the one. He is the one. So the faith is not in the work. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like if we approach this again as a work or as a consumer product and say, well, every day I'm going to read the Bible and then I'm going to evaluate whether or not I'm doing it right and whether or not this is actually working, whether this prayer is working, like I'm going to, I'm going to check every day, then, then again, you're just stripping faith of its power because it's not God who's doing it. You're depending on yourself to do it. God is gracious to operate when we exercise faith, even the tiniest faith. That's how faithful God is to us. He's faithful, and he's the one who will carry it to the end. It's the he in you that matters. It's the he in you that produces joy. Your growth doesn't depend on you alone. Because God is the one who's working. Your evangelism doesn't depend on you alone. Your faith of your family, the faith of your family doesn't depend on you alone. The health of the church doesn't depend on you alone. Do you think the God who determines whether nations rise or fall would leave his work to us alone? Of course not. God graciously allows us to be a part of his great work as he does his great work in us because he is gracious. Now, I'm going to say a couple things, okay, to close. One, if you have been in the word and in prayer daily, you know, or, you know, pretty much daily, like regularly, I know that you have this deep joy. I know that you've tasted it. I know that you've experienced it. And I've shared with many of you about that. I'm encouraged. I'm, in blessed. I'm, I'm personally blessed by you. I remember you in my prayers. Like I can really relate to what Paul is saying here on that note. I have joy when I think about you guys. And you don't know what it means to me, that fellowship and what I would say, if that's where you're at right now in your discipleship, I just encourage you both to continue to deepen in your own joy in that and also to share that joy with others by inviting other people into it, right? By building that gospel partnership, encouraging that gospel growth. Now, for those of us, if that's not the case, if, if we've been away and maybe 
obstinate, maybe stubbornly making excuses, if we are perfectly, well, what I'll say is, if that's you, you are perfectly positioned to know the power of the gospel working in you. If that's you, if you've been, like, making excuses for a long time, simply repent. You know, just confess it to God. Just say, God, you know what? I feel like I've been pointing the finger a lot, but really, I just haven't, I just haven't wanted to. You know, I just haven't wanted to exercise faith, and I, I want to. Two, I would say find accountability. Again, if, if you, and you don't got someone to keep you accountable, just, just message me. I'll keep you accountable. And, and just say, I need this. I need every morning. Like, can you do this for me? Ask your life group or set something up or get a Bible app. Get a reminder every day. You know, get dwell. Just listen to the Bible. You know, and you might be like, oh, but, you know, I, but I want the, I want to read and like parse every Greek word. Like that's, that's the way I want to read the Bible. It's like, dude, just, just crawl before you can walk, right? Like just do the most, the thing that will get you into it. That is the exercise of faith. Because when you do that, it's not your power at work. It's his. Like the faith. Without all of the evaluation, without saying every single day, okay, well, well, did it work? Did it not work? Like just that's the exercise of faith. Do you, do you get that? That's when you're saying, God, I'm just going to trust the process that you have already laid out. I'm not going to reevaluate it every day. I'm not going to say, oh, is it? I'm not going to look back every single month and track and say like, oh, is this, is this happening exactly the way I want it to? Am I growing in all the ways I want to? Every time you step into faith, you're tapping into his power. When you pray for your kids, when you serve your spouse, when you're gracious to your neighbor or coworker, even when they're rude or obnoxious, when they don't deserve your grace, that's what grace is. It's undeserved favor. When you decide to share that and do that and serve and love because every day you exercise faith in the word and in prayer, he works in you to produce gospel growth he in you with others to produce gospel partnerships and as the work he forms as he does that work he forms gospel remembrances for us to look back on down the line that fill us with joy this is the joy that we have in christ that he offers us let's step into that together let's pray Jesus, we thank you so much for the joy that you offer us in you. You don't want us to live lives uh, constantly bouncing from thing to thing, from place to place, looking for the next way that we are going to find um, a little hit of happiness. God, what you have for us is a deep joy, a deep sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. If we would just step into 
what is offered us in you in the gospel. Help us, God, to step into those gospel remembrances. Help us, help us, Spirit, to step into gospel partnerships, gospel fellowship. You know, forgiven sinners coming together to aspire to be slaves of Christ for the advancement of the gospel. Help us to step into our own gospel growth and that of others. God, we know that all you require is a simple exercise of faith. To daily say, I I just, Jesus, it's not me, it's you. You know, it's not my way, it's not my judgment. It's just, it's you, I need you. You hear those prayers. God, you honor that faith. Give us courage, give us strength, give us the hope to step into these things. We entrust it to you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.